0: And then, thank you, worship team, again, too, and that focus, that end, and repetition, Jesus, Jesus, I feel like sometimes you, you, you see the lyric sheet on that song, and you're like, how many times can we say this word? And then, honestly, we can't say it enough, and that's why we've been going through even the book of Galatians for such a long time, and it just keeps bringing us back to the same fact The Apostle Paul, when he wrote it, had to keep bringing us back to the fact that it's Jesus, 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 and we always add other things to it. Before we get into it, I just want to like, get going preaching, let's go, but I want to send the kids on down. If you, there is a service, so this is the time, kids, we've got a service designed just for you. Uh, if you're ready for it, if you're signed in, checked in, ages four and up, you can head to the back corner and meet your teachers, and they're going to bring you down. We've got a time of prayer, an awesome Bible story, some fun games. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great service, so, and if you've just come in, parents, you can sign your kids in, make sure they've got a name tag so we get them back to you and that they're fully safe. And if you need help doing that, just find somebody wearing a lanyard. Uh, while that's happening, I've got a question for you guys. Who has, who's had a celebrity encounter? Like, who's met a celebrity? You are know here? Oh, I, I wanna hear some of these stories. I wanna hear some of these stories. Is that, was that an Australian celebrity? Did you meet Chris Hemsworth? Okay, well here, I wanna hear, I have not, I, I don't go, I guess I don't live the high life enough, I don't go into the urban world enough, I have not met any whatever celebrities as we would see them on TV. I guess the closest, I was trying to like rack my brain, like have I, have I seriously, I don't have any stories about a celebrity? Um, the closest one and is kind of like this little fanboy thing in me. So there's this YouTube page I love following, Is this guy who has this kind of science channel. And he, uh, he's, he's an engineer and he worked for NASA and he does these really cool stuff with his family. He's a follower of Jesus too, which is a cool thing he sometimes brings in. And he does these like, just like detailed explanation videos for like the deep scientific and, and physics way, like physics way stuff happens, like why does a cat land on his feet? And there's this like 20 minute awesome in-depth video It's so cool and one day I just got like the courage to message him and just send him like, you know, being all fanboy and giddy and just message him like, hey, your stuff is amazing and if you're ever out in Canada, come to Vancouver and there's a particle accelerator accelerator in UBC and you should do a thing on that and then come to my youth group and like talk to the kids and it'd be so cool. I'd never heard back from him so I got ghosted. It's too bad. (laughs) Another time too that I thought was kind of close, I'm just showing like my level of celebrity is so low, but there's an author I really like. He's got a podcast as well. And uh, I was at this ministry training workshop uh, locally here. There's a smallish group, maybe like 50 people. And he was one of the main speakers. And I was kind of stoked, like, I get to see this guy in person. And it was like this small intimate group, kind of a room like this. I was sitting near the front and uh, and he, he came up and he talked and it was a little underwhelming because it was just like it was a podcast I had heard before and it was just like him saying it verbatim so it just wasn't coming through my car speakers and voice sounded the same. I don't think he even made eye contact with me and when you're at, like a church leader workshop it's weird to ask for an autograph so just don't. I haven't really met celebrities but the the point though the thing is we we love celebrities as people. Okay, even I, there wasn't many hands up here. Even if you don't admit it, or if you're not like following the Oscars, uh, like a TV movie kind of entertainment celebrity, there is this bizarre human thing that we have where we just cling to people, we cling to personalities, and uh, and maybe it's not even people specifically, but it, it's like movements or ideas, or if maybe it's like a political moment or uprising. This thing like we align ourselves with these powerful things which like those movements and ideas kind of become like celebrities um, and throw ourselves at it and we start taking like those ideas and, and maybe it's an individual their words like gold. I, my sister loves the Oscars so like once a year there's an Oscars party and like the whole family's over and I'm just hating it off in the back corner. But the celebrities, you know they're out they're sharing these big life philosophical things and people are soaking it up because we love icons. And I found this quote from a psychologist, James Horan, said, and it starts off kind of intense. It's coming right out of, a, out of context here, but he says, celebrities aren't people. I mean, they are, they're a real person with a real life, but the celebrity is this idolized image or a godlike identity that people or a community creates around a person, right? It's this, it's this thing that we hold people up onto a pedestal, and we just assume, like, they are something special there's something outside of our lives there's something up here higher and we even see in the bible like we have always been humanity's always been under this condition of trying to elevate people up to something bigger that we uh just like want to strive for almost as if we'll gain that uh psalm 135 a paraphrase the passion translation says this psalm 135 a verse in there uh, it says, The nations make idols of silver and gold to worship. They could not speak, although they have mouths. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. There is no breath in them. Yet the desire of the nations is to trust in and be like these images. There's a thing that we will always resolve in that. Uh, sorry, should I use one of these mics? I don't know what's going on. I think I broke the mic this morning. Uh, I'll use the handheld mic, though, this morning. Sorry about that. <laughs> Technical issues. Uh, we have given box at the back doors and they help us purchase broken microphones, helpful for us. Um, sorry, yet the desire of the nations is to trust in and be like these images. Some counselors have even noted that celebrities or icons or social movements or ideas actually serve like a narcotic to people. They actually are like, uh, they help us almost enter in a state of euphoria. We have this identity and this longing, this need. We build an addiction to people and to ideas to the point where uh, it's actually, especially in our modern world with entertainment and everything coming at us and just huge content consumption, it's kind of like the most readily available and easiest fix that we do. We love celebrities just to say it plain. And see, the thing is, it's the high energy, the high charisma, the high success or the promise of success that lets us escape our current situations and lets us feel a sense of vicarious living or an allegiance to a lifestyle or an idea that just tickles us, right? We're attracted to this thing called zeal. And so that brings us to the passage that we're studying this morning. We're in Galatians chapter 4. And what we're doing, we're moving through the book of Galatians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul who wrote a majority of the books in the New Testament. They were actually letters to believers in kind of the first century early church Christian um, as Christianity was expanding. And we also see this as... uh, so. Just even as a thing to say for a Bible study note, this is, this is a method of Bible study that I want to encourage you to adopt. And in fact, too, if you aren't reading the Bible, you need to be reading the Bible. It's not just like a thing that, you know, is helpful. You should maybe do it a bit. Like you have to read the Bible on your own and study and take it in because here's the thing, like I could be wrong and if you're not checking up on it and if you're not studying it for yourself, you don't know that. And so you got to be checking out. We're going to talk about that today. I could be wrong about this stuff. And I want to know that you're also diving into it and meeting God face to face and firsthand experiences and not just through me, not just through a celebrity or through somebody else or through a book or an author or a TV. And so what what it is is we're going through this, reading it verse by verse. And what I do is I just I go through the whole book over and over again. And we just uh, then we go through the next passage. I see where do we leave off next week, and I go through until there's this thing that is now hitting, uh, revealing something about God to us, revealing something about me and our world to us. And then we just dive into it. So it's going a bit slower actually. I looked at my notes initially at the start of the year, and I thought we'd be finished Galatians by this point, but we're Galatians chapter four verse sixteen. Um, it's, it's great because there's so much, like even a few verses ago, there's this whole moment where we see that God adopts us out of this slavery to our own idols and into sonship and his own family and promise, and it's this amazing thing. I wanted to spend months on that, but we'll keep going ahead because there's just so much richness in this book. But anyways, that brings us to where we're at. I just want to give you the context. Uh, if you're joining us this morning, welcome here. Great morning to be here because we got food after the service. So you're here for a good one. Um, So what we have is Paul, who's the author of this book. Uh, He was a missionary who initially spent his life, uh, it was shaped by a man who he was persecuting and hunting down followers of Jesus, Christians, And he was uh, arresting them, having them killed and executed until Jesus met him, changed his life, corrected him, said, you're on the wrong path. You have missed me. Because see, Paul thought he was following God, but he was actually following the devil. He didn't know it because he had this whole system of legalism in in his way. And... And so he had his whole life shaped, and then he took that message and spread it all around the eastern Mediterranean area and planted churches and grew the early church. And he also wrote these uh, these documents that were God-inspired that we use for instruction as well today that we believe is God speaking through Paul to us as well. And so where we're at is Paul has just finished reminding the readers of the the original readers, the Galatians, which were... Uh, in a big areas of province, kind of like modern day Turkey. Uh, there's Christians there who had been kind of turning back on the message that Paul had initially brought. So he just spent previously a, a few verses reminding them about the beauty of the gospel, reminding them about the power and the heart of what Jesus came to do for them. And he also reminded them of what their initial response was to the gospel and to Paul and to people and how that came out. So now we're diving in. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Galatians 4.16. If you've got your phone, search it up. It's on Google. It's free. In Galatians 4.16, Paul writes, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Referring to kind of how the Galatians are treating him. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, but because I am perplexed about you. I was not was reading a bit mono there to get, make it sure it's clear, but Paul is heated. He is frustrated. This is a, a book we've been going through seeing Paul's frustration because he loves these people and he's seeing this thing where what we actually get there, they're treating him like an enemy. Paul brought him brought these people the gospel message of Jesus and now they're turning back on Paul. They're angry, they're frustrated. Maybe some of you are coming here you maybe grew up in the church and then something happened about the church or a pastor or a leader said something that bothered you and you took off and you held a grudge against the church or against people and you forgot the fact that we're actually here to focus on Jesus, not on me or even on the amazing worship team or on the amazing pumpkin decorations outside. We're focused on Jesus here. And sometimes we vilify or focus in on people. But there's a word there. It was three times. Zeal. Zeal. We don't really use the word zeal much, zealous, zealot, zealousy. But a definition for zeal is a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. Uh, I found a better definition. I like this one, so listen to this. Uh, Zeal is a passionate ardor in pursuit of something or an intense interest, a bold eagerness to accomplish or obtain something. This is the thing that we see in celebrities or in movements or in big social trends that we are so attracted to, zeal, passion. There's this uh, story from uh, decades ago, back in the days of Billy Graham, who was a evangelist in the States, who's very influential, uh, brought uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to Christ with his passionate message. And there's a story where this person who is a well-known atheist, who was packing up to go to see Billy Graham, and his buddy's like, why are you going there? What, What's the point of listening to this? You don't believe any of it. And he's like, I don't believe it, but he does, and it is so attractive to listen to it. We're attracted to zeal, no matter how you look at it. And this isn't something that we just observe about the historical church. We sometimes get this, like, chronological snobbery where we're sitting here 2022 in the church in mission and we look back on uh these texts and we think those weird crazy religious people who just follow this or that and they're following people with zealousy over here that no no this is talking to us it's something that i think we need to be constantly on guard for in our lives something that we need to actually assess where right now we are focusing our attention and being strayed away from by whether it's literally celebrities, whether it's literally Tom Hanks, or whether it's a movement that has completely attracted us and sidetracked our lives and our passion away from Jesus. So this is kind of where we're going go, uh, to go. Actually, oh, here's a really good thought I want to pull into as well. Uh, side note, pains of childbirth. This is the thing I kind of want to dive into as well. Pains of childbirth. Uh, before we get into the meat of the passage, Paul uses this uh, hyperbole this this example of pains in childbirth because he's frustrated he's going through this pain he's like I thought I brought you the message and now we we'll are have to go through it again and this is a really good thing I think that we need to know or remember because maybe how many times do we avoid difficult things having a hard conversation with somebody having a difficult challenge with a family member or a coworker because it is difficult it brings agony. Paul's saying, this sucks. I don't like doing it. I don't like saying you're going off. You're doing the wrong thing. He's saying to us as well, I don't like it. It's like childbirth. It's agony. It's pains." But what, what is childbirth, right? I had to ask my wife for a bunch of this information. I don't know firsthand. But it's you spend 40 weeks pregnant, right? And then you're ready. You're ready to go. But it's not a comfortable process. It is painful. It is difficult. It's a challenge. But what comes out on the other end is amazing and beautiful. But you don't go 40 weeks and like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep it going. Like, I don't want to deal with that, so I'm just going to go to 48 weeks. No, it doesn't even work, right? Like, you and the baby are gone. It gets destroyed. You can't do that. In fact, the body would rebel against that. Um, But more, more interestingly, too, I love this fact. So, modern day, right? 2022... Lots of husbands in the delivery room. We see TV shows talk about childbirth. We kind of get that first century Judaism, that culture, they weren't part of childbirth. The men had no clue. This was written for women to understand, too. And it's just an important note. I love it, the fact that Paul writes to men and women in the Bible and a thing that was completely culturally disruptive in a culture where the women don't learn stuff, they don't read, they don't get taught or addressed to their needs. Paul's like, no, no, the gospel is for everybody, men and women. Women, you're gonna get this. You tell your husbands about it, in fact. Pains of childbirth, not something that first century readers of this would have ever got. So, and and let's get to it. What I want to do this morning before we get to the pumpkin treats and scones, because they smell good, I've I've put through, just based on my study through this passage, my experience in the book of Galatians, in church leadership, five things that I've seen that we need to look for when we, we take a look at what influences us, who we kind of subscribe to, because even as Paul says, like, it's fine to have zeal, it's fine to be have zeal, that's okay, but it depends on what it's driving you towards. So, who do you, like, who are the influencers you love, who are the celebrities you're fully into? And What's scary is when it disguises itself as faith, when it disguises itself as church, as it disguises itself as a salvation, like something that can bring you power and success and salvation in your life. It can fulfill your life. In fact, the three big gods of, I think, the Western world is power, success, or power, wealth, and sex. It's amazing the things that we will uh, sidestep and remove out of our lives for the sake of those things. I I had literally a conversation with a friend of mine. He was a follower of Jesus. Uh, Still is, but he had this moment where he kind of got caught up in this get-rich scheme that had a few quite shady methods of capitalizing on wealth and gaining things. Because what's the gospel of our world, right? Financial independence and freedom. Financial freedom, right, that you can have income without ever working for a day in your life. I see this advertised all the time and so it was one of these systems and I can get money and I can do the things and I can go and hang out in Mexico on the beach drinking drinks and sleeping all day, right, that's, that's the dream and so I challenged him, and I said, are you aware of the ways you're making money through this or that the promises? because it doesn't seem like it lines up with the kingdom, it seems like it actually uh, oppresses a lot of people underneath you. And so he even gives me this thing. He goes, like, okay, Grant, I'm, you're a pastor, right? So I know you're always on. But for right now, I just need this because I, like, I need some to get ahead. And I thought, wow, that's, like, that's what we do is we're totally all about Jesus. We're singing our hearts out. We love these songs on Sunday morning. But later in the week, Monday, the businessman comes out. Or the attraction to whatever gets us ahead in the world or gets us looking better or man, you've all been young adults before, you've been teenagers before, you might hear the idea of like a relationship, what God's design for relationships looks like. It's amazing, totally. Save yourself for marriage because married people have way more sex than uh, non-monogamous people is true, and more orgasms, true facts. You're like, that's the design for sex, God loves it, totally. And then you meet a pretty girl. And you're like throwing all that out the window, I want it now. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I want for that drive and passion. We do these things for these idols in our world, these drives. And sometimes people disguise themselves, whether they're false teachers or not, they disguise themselves saying, no, I've got the right answers for you. And it's scary too when it even comes in the form of church. And that's why I'm saying I want you to actually be reading the Bible for yourself, to know God's heart, to know Jesus and the gospel of grace, and not just what I say from up here. So, five things. Five things that I do believe to be quite true as a way to just challenge challenge yourself. Is this accurate? Is this driving me towards the gospel? Or is this something different? So the first one is, the focus is always on Jesus. It's been the whole theme of this book, Jesus plus nothing, we've called it, because we're Christians, literally Christ learners, followers of Jesus. It's not Jesus plus all the other stuff. It's not Jesus plus being a Canadian. It's not Jesus plus having this political leaning or believing in public school over private education. It's not none of those things. Your life is centered around Jesus exclusively. And in fact, it's a very important thing to know um, that the drive needs to point towards what Jesus does, and not what we can do. This church community is absolutely amazing. We do some really cool stuff as a church. We impact the City of Mission amazingly when we get to manifest out in the city events. We've done block parties in the past. We've done different fundraisers and drives through the food bank, amazing stuff. But it's actually not Cedar Valley that I care about. I don't want people to worship or come to Cedar Valley. I want them to know Jesus. That was Paul's focus, too. He wants people to know Jesus. And where he even calls out, he says, there's these other people promising you power and success through following the legalism systems of rules. That was very popular in the day, right? Like, it's hard for us to relate to sometimes. We think, you know, okay, it's all about religion in the Bible. And I often talk at a bit more of a religious-y level here because I know a lot of us have grown up in the church the whole time. That's... um, That's where Paul's kind of talking to as well, but maybe we've walked away from it, we've come back, maybe you're here fully skeptical because you've been bought in by other ideas of success and Jesus doesn't bring anything like that. So we get these ideas of what gets us ahead in life. In the first century, the original audience, Paul was talking to a culture that religion, like being super religious, following all the rules, in fact, making more rules upon the other rules is what will get you Influence in the world because it's kind of made up of this greco-roman religious society and this uh, Judaism religious society which was being oppressed but was massive in population and numbers So people were saying like hey start following these rules get circumcised follow the Sabbath Do these kind of traditional days that will help you and you'll stop getting persecuted for following this Jesus thing He's still part of it, but do these things And Paul says they promise something good, but they actually want worship for themselves. Because realize, when you start realizing their teachings, they're not talking about God. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about themselves. So keep that on guard. The focus has to always go towards Jesus as the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, of the New Testament, of everything that we experience in God. And it is honestly the uh, unpopular statement that Christianity has an exclusive stance that it says right in John 14, um, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. From his words, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, comes to God, except through me. It's actually this stance that we sometimes pretend doesn't exist, that there's a lot of different ways to understand, but no, it actually comes through Jesus. The second one. And this one's important because we often have this mindset. So this isn't just people you follow. Think about this for yourselves as well as you are leaders for in people's lives, bringing people to Christ, uh, representing the gospel. You're not right about everything. So There's this joke I heard, okay? Um, so these two people go to heaven and uh, they, they get to the gate, and they're talking to St. Peter's or Saint Peter, and they're like, okay, yeah, so obviously Christianity was right. Okay, cool. So who, who in Christianity was right, though, right? Like, which denomination had it? And Peter's like, oh, come on, let me give you the tour. I'll give you the tour. So they're going through heaven, and he points over to this first group, and he says, so these guys, the, they're following. There's Martin Luther and all the Lutherans, and they're hanging out there. And then we go over here and uh, there's John Calvin and all the Calvinists, they're hanging out there. Oh, and then this massive group, that's the Catholics. And you know, they follow Jesus, right? So they're looking at Jesus, but it's hard to see through the priests and the deacons and the bishops and the archbishops and the pope. Big group though. And then he's like, Shh, okay, we gotta sneak past these people. And they sneak past and there's all these people sitting in a circle passing this weird cup of tea with beards on. And they're like, why, why do we have to be quiet there? And he's like, oh, they're, they're around Mennon Simons. Those are the Mennonites. They think they're the only people here. No, we have to humble ourselves and realize we are not right about everything. We have ideas. We have beliefs. We have stances. There's a few things that are non-negotiables, but there is a lot that we are pulling at straws for. And there are other people who are worshiping Jesus who have a slightly different leaning on all these non-negotiable things. How deep do you have to get baptized in water? What temperature is it in A hot tub or a feeding trough? I got baptized in a feeding trough. These are not essential pieces. We are not right about everything. When you start seeing movements and leaders who say, I have everything down to a T, believe this to a dot, run. Seriously, That's, that happens way overwhelmingly commonly, too. And it's so sad to see when these, especially church and faith movements, have very strong, very wise leaders. In fact, the Pharisees at the time, the people who Jesus rubbed the wrong way with, they were right about a lot. They were, in fact, probably the most right about all the stuff and all the Bible and the scriptures. They missed an important thing, though. They missed the fact that God was actually right in front of their face. They missed the fact that God actually was a bit more dynamic and relational, wanting to meet with them. You're not right about everything. So that's important. And, and here's the, the problem, too, that happens is if you put up a sign on your front house. This was just an example I heard. If, if you follow this idea of rules and legalism, like this is the way you got to live your life to understand God. These are the things to be perfect, what God says. You put up a list at your front door, right, of like here's all the rules to follow, When you walk through your door, that door, that sign applies to you as well. And I guarantee you're not perfect enough to follow it all the time. It's only when it's appropriate and applies to you. Um, The biggest thing is the fact that there is a lot of stuff that we do right. There's a lot of stuff that the Pharisees did right. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of people on earth do right. But we're not perfect, so we do some things wrong. And let's just bring math into it. There is no amount of perfection and right things to correct the wrong things but grace corrects the wrong things. The gospel of grace, the thing that Jesus actually brings into our lives, corrects the wrong things that we do. Okay, third, and this kind of goes with it as well. They don't create a them. They don't vilify people. They don't vilify groups. People you're following, or for yourself, don't vilify people. It's so easy to say, We're a movement. In fact, we just had a municipal election. What always makes me cringe is when a platform is based entirely on I am not them. Like I don't care what are you for. When you look at it in our world, when you look at it as believers, followers, just whatever, we are all broken. It doesn't matter what denomination you're part of. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a devout Christian from birth. We are all broken. We all are on the same team of needing God. And in fact, those of us who trust in Jesus and have received that grace and have received that salvation, we are still on the same team as the people who are not there and we need to bring them into it because they're missing out. Run away from groups that vilify them as the enemy because they're not. There is an enemy in our world, the devil, who wants us all far away from God, but it's not people. You even see that too. Paul talks about this in Galatians, uh, this idea of um, what these teachers want to do who are so attractive that the Galatians are going to. They want to alienate you. They want to remove you from other people. They want to create separations and break down that community. And at the end of the day, church literally comes from the word ecclesia, which literally just means the gathering of people. What we don't want to do is create more cuts and divides in the middle of it. Okay, fourth, as I'm going through all this, it shouldn't just feel good. Okay, we have this idea Paul talks about the pains of childbirth. There are so many things in the world, one of our biggest things that makes us attracted to movements and celebrities is it feels good. There's ways of moving through our lives where we can just find the things that the promises of this will feel good. This will get you money, buy a cool car, it's going to feel good. And you can travel to this place and that place and have a boat and it's going to feel good. Life doesn't always feel good. The work of God in our lives doesn't always feel good. I, I couldn't say it any better then, so I'm just going to say it from this. C.S. Lewis, uh, author, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. The, the popular book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A few books further in the series is this book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And uh, without going through the whole story, beautiful story, is this allegory for the Christian life and the way God works in our lives. There's this character called Eustace who the name is a play because he's useless. Everyone else hates him. He is a pain. He is a grumpy, bitter child. And at some point they're in this magical world, Narnia, he gets turned into a dragon, this big, gross, angry, scaly thing, and everyone's scared of him. It's just this symbology of that's, that's what you were. You were a boy, now you're a dragon, but you were a dragon the whole time. Now you just look like it physically too. And he starts to see the effect he has on people who are scared of him and the damage he causes all around him. And then there's a character, there's a lion named Aslan who represents God. And Aslan comes, comes in and, and uh, the dragon's upset. He's like, everyone's away from me. I can't do anything. I'm just this horrible dragon. And Aslan's like, I can help you with that. But you gotta get rid of all those scales. And then he tries it himself and he can't. He can't get rid of the scales himself. And so Aslan's like, I'll help you. And he's scared because then Aslan brings out these huge claws and starts tearing away the scales. And I quote right from the book, the very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. And then it goes on a little bit more uh, description, but then after it's finished, this boy Eustace says, and there I was smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught a hold of me and I didn't much like it for I was raw and tender underneath. The work that God performs in our life doesn't always feel good, but it comes out to a better result at the end. The thing we see, too, with Paul talking about this idea of childbirth, we have all been born, if you exist in this world, is because you were born, your entire existence comes out of something that was very painful and very traumatic. The work God does in our lives takes that moment, and if you ever are coming up into a promise of saying, this will only be gravy, it's only gonna feel great, start running away. And fifth, it's consistent. The church I grew up in had this verse in like big old wood letters. They're all like, they look hand whittled, but it's great. Hebrews thirteen eight says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. A thing that's so important to remember about the gospel of grace is that it is bigger than Any current trend in our culture is bigger than any celebrities because people come and go, and movements come and go, political uprisings come and go, and authors and books and TV shows and ideas come and go. Churches come and go. Jesus Christ stays the same. It's the gospel that stays consistent. What you want to look for is not something that's this on-fire, super-quick thing that comes and disappears in a flash. But a love for God that is consistent and true. Um, one of the most damaging hypocrisies that Satan uses all the time is inconsistent lifestyles that are inconsistent with. Jesus' work in our life. We go to church on Sunday and on Monday we're the biggest jerk in the office, but we're really good at business, right? We worship and preach everything because we have this high moment. We go to a summer camp or a workshop or a marriage conference and we're like, yeah, absolutely best. God blesses the marriage. It's the most amazing thing. And then we spend the rest of the year talking poorly about our spouses. Whatever it is, we're not consistent. The Apostle Paul calls us out in the Galatians. He says, it is great, in fact, to be zealous. Other verses in the Bible, Paul says, be zealous for Jesus. That is attractive to the world, but it needs to be consistent, not just when important people are looking at you, not just when somebody who you're trying to show off to is there. Consistent behind closed doors, consistent in your prayer life, consistent in the closet, consistent all the time. See, here's the thing. We fall into this trap and we get pulled away from Jesus and, uh, or uh, held away, uh, maybe pulled into skepticism, maybe just thinking that we're purely logical, purely autonomous, rational beings, that we've just come to this conclusion ourselves, but we are always being influenced by other people, by other ideas. So it's something that we need to be actually constantly on guard for. Uh, just a few verses back, the Apostle Paul talked about the Countless amounts of false gospels in the world, The what he calls elemental forces or natural powers that are out there. Um, Eastern religions and all around the world have given different names for these gods or moments. Now we just call them shopping malls or porn or whatever it is, right? Or Netflix. We just give it different names, but they are all around us. And don't kid yourself. Some of you are there right now, fully bought into a specific cult-like moment underneath a person, and that's not what I want for you. I don't want you, I, I hope that nobody is here underneath Grant at this church. I'm temporary as an intern position here at the church. We're looking for a lead pastor too. I'm hoping that nobody here is subscribed to David Jeremiah as their only motion or Mark Clark or whoever it is as their focus. Instead, Jesus Christ as the main and only focus that guides your life, that can provide salvation into your life. Paul reminds us that Jesus came not with another religion, not with another set of ideas and rules, but with a way out of all of that. In fact, he came with an invitation of grace to trust to trust God, to trust that Jesus' victory over death the thing that he offered you, that salvation, actually worked and actually made a difference and can actually make a difference in your life. Not just at the end of day, it's not just a ticket to heaven, but it's a deliverance out of that world of chaos that we live in today where there's every sort of idea that expects you to accomplish your own salvation, expects you to accomplish everything in your life to be good enough and perfect enough and to recruit people into your movement. Jesus came and offered an alternative to that. And it starts with becoming a new creation, the way the way Second Corinthians, also written by Paul, said, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're going to leave it at today. That's what I want us to dwell on. Five things just to recap there again, too. First one, you just, it's always focused on Jesus. The second is that you're not right about everything. The third is you don't vilify other people. The fourth is that it shouldn't always feel good. And the fifth is that it's consistent. That is marks of the gospel. That's marks of gospel being preached by other people, being represented by other people, and things that you should be marked by when you're representing the gospel to people is things that if you're here, you don't have a clue about church or about Jesus, those are the things that you should be looking forward and towards not this idea of everything being easy or being very successful or just a ticket to heaven at the end of the day, but something that actually changes your life. So that's where I'm gonna leave it at. Uh, Pray with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. What can almost seem like repetition, but God, this reminder that we need to come back to you and God, we're in a world of endless distractions. God, we're in a world of celebrities. That are so attractive and it's not Keanu Reeves necessarily god but it's anything that's so attractive to us is right in our face that we just follow maybe subconsciously things that influence us god give us a drive to get into the word even if we don't like reading god that we meet you in the bible in the text god even today as we're visiting and chatting and hanging out with people let us think through those celebrities, those movements, those ideas in our lives that we have been too subscribed to, things that have maybe pulled us away from the gospel, pulled us away from people and community. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're present in our lives. God, we pray that you bless this time. God, we pray that you bless the food that we're gonna enjoy together too and the fellowship and the time just chatting and hanging out and meeting each other as well. God, that you just bless this mini meal we're having and the service as we go into the week. So God, we just thank you for everything in your name. Amen. Thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, enjoy the pumpkin-themed treats. They're not all pumpkin, too, if you don't like pumpkin. And thank you so much for everybody who provided these baked goods as well, and for Carol and Steve for organizing all of it. Uh, Other than that, have a fantastic week. Thank you for joining us.